Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are thrilled about this week's episode, and we're going to tell you all about it in just a second. But before we do, we have something very important to talk to you about, and that is daylight savings time. We've already had a warm-up discussion about this prior to uh, jumping on here to record, but I think it's very important for you Mm -hmm. guys to know that legislation Mm -hmm. is passing to end daylight savings time. And I would like to thank the mothers of America for making this happen and all the tired people of America for making this happen. And all of the people who do not enjoy explaining to their employees or their churches, I would like to thank them as well. Okay. First of all, anyone who objects to, to, to this daylight savings bill can get behind me and can get Same. behind Ashley. Same. And she's tall. So good yeah. luck trying to see mm-hmm. over her. Okay. Yes. So I'm trying to say, I mean, I got some bite, but I'm like a little chihuahua when it comes to this. <laughs> Secondly, on Monday, <clears throat> you know, daylight savings, full swing. I'm so stinking tired getting them kids up for school. Not easy. And my son glared at me and I couldn't even remember the word glare because I was so tired. <laughs> I was like, stop doing that. Stop doing that with your eyes. And he's like, what? What am I doing? I said, the the, the eye thing. <laughs> Couldn't think of the word glare, Ashley. I was like, baby, you better stop it. Oh, I was getting all up in his grill. And he's like, what? What's the word? <laughs> it is a Couldn't real struggle words. to form sentences. Absolutely. And I am just <sighs> so excited about the possibilities of not never, ever having to change my microwave, my car oh, clock, microwave. my other clocks in the house, and all the other things. It, I mean, I'm thrilled. Okay, well, I never change my car clock, so it's just, it's just a guess <laughs> just... every time you're in there. <laughs> and I don't own a microwave. You know, I don't believe in that. But my, my oven, which is our only clock, we don't have like a wall clock because apparently I don't care. <laughs> Right. We don't have one either. I feel you, you. I need to do that for my children, though, because then they got to, like, go squint in front of the oven. Yep. That's 100% <laughs> our vibe as well. Oh. <laughs> I feel it's like that says something about me that I don't like, that I don't have a wall clock. Does it say well, I something? Feel like, no. I mean, my phone is my clock. I feel like every time I look at my phone or my laptop, I know what time it is. So why do I need yeah. it on the wall? You know. Well, like, my kids don't got no phones, and they aren't going to get no phones until right. they're, like, I don't know, 35. So I really should I think like about that, a way though. for them. They kindly have. They kind of have a place where they can go where they don't have to measure time, and that's nice. That's true. Outside of school and their hustle and all the things that they have to do. I mean, it's nice to just like be in your imagination and get lost in something. Oh, they do. I like that. They do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Oh, I love it so much. Like, well, we you know how we feel, people, about the daylight savings. Yeah, it's it's done and it's over. Please don't send us any messages. Twenty twenty three, come quickly. <laughs> quickly Lord Jesus. (laughs) Well today's guest that we have on our show today is someone that I have been a super fan of for a long time. Her name is Mary Morantz. For those of you who do not have the pleasure of knowing Mary, I was introduced to her work through her first book, Dirt. And she is a hell of a writer. I mean just writes in a memoir style 
is her phrasing is so poetic and beautiful. Her prose is remarkable and she's really sharp and smart. And I think watching her from a distance on the internet, I was like, I really like this girl. And Tiffany, you you probably have some experience with this being a public figure yourself. But I think sometimes when you meet people up close, you're not always sure what what's going to happen or what you're yeah. really going to get. And with Mary meeting her up close, I was like, wow, this is a tender hearted, mm. fierce, deep well. I mean, Mary is a thinker. She is someone who deeply loves people and deeply loves Jesus. And I, I think that that beautiful, tender side of her is so inspiring to me with the work that she's done. And, you know, Mary grew up in, I'm going to read your bio, Mary, because um, we loved it. Thank you, mm-hmm. Tiffany, for, for pointing that out. But it says in her bio, Mary Morantz grew up in a trailer in rural West Virginia. The first of her immediate family to go to college, she went on to earn a master's degree in moral philosophy and a law degree from Yale. After turning down a six-figure salary law firm offers in London and New York and starting a business with her husband, Justin, together they have gone on to build a successful online education platform for thousands of creative entrepreneurs worldwide. Uh, Let me pause here to say that Mary is an incredible photographer, the best-selling author of Dirt, which was an ECPA finalist for Memoir of the Year. Mary is also the host of the highly ranked podcast, The Mary Morant Show, which debuted in the iTunes Top 200. She and Justin live in an 1880s fixer-upper by the sea in New Haven, Connecticut with their two very fluffy golden retrievers, Godspeed and Atticus. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on. Mary, we are so thrilled to welcome you to our show and to introduce our people to you. And you have a new devotional coming out about that's called Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots. And we want to have a conversation with you today about why our who is more important than our do. And you are a high achieving, wonderful human, and we are thrilled to learn from you. So welcome to Why Though. Oh my gosh. First of all, thank you for having me. And I don't really know, like, man, that bio, I always feel like, well, I don't know what else to say. (laughs) That's the end of that. But that's actually kind of the point of this conversation is that Mm -hmm. it's easy to live that way where it's like this resume becomes all we are and it it says everything we have to say, but there's actually Mm -hmm. just a whole other heart and another human underneath that we're sort of using that all these gold stars and achievements is like this brick wall of protection mm. around us and then wonder why we feel so lonely because we've yeah. kept everybody at arm's length. So let's actually just, you know, let's start with just, uh, I grew up in West Virginia and now I'm in Connecticut and I've, I've done the field research for us, friends. I've done 20 plus <laughs> years of trying to achieve into wholeness and fullness and worth and acceptance and belonging and you can just relax knowing it does not work. <laughs> so, let's find a better way. One of the things I really loved is just the title, Slow Growth. I think in this time and place, we witness what we would assume is just quick success. Mm-hmm. And your invitation to slow growth isn't um, isn't big. It's not on the screen. It's not to be celebrated. It's something to cultivate in the Mm -hmm. interior. Mm -hmm. And it's something that isn't to be met with flattery or applause, but truly just something that we can build in the everyday. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I was really taken of as I read more about your work and especially your message uh, specifically for for this year's work in this year's book. Uh, What what prompted that, um, especially as your follow up to your first book? Yeah. Oh, man, that, you know, that's exactly what I've been experiencing is everybody I talk to right now from our launch team members to people in DMs who just see the title to, you know, doing interviews is everybody is sort of aching. They're, we're weary. Mm. We're tired. Yes. And like, we're all yeah. sort of just like this 
you know, I mean, let's just break it down for a second and say, take just as one slice of an example, the, the, the ask that Instagram has been giving us of like, here's what it takes to succeed. We want to see at least like two reels a day and like oh, seven, gosh. whatever, whatever. And like this <laughs> fire hose of noise that they're mm-hmm. asking us to participate in. And we're just getting knocked over by it, either from the receiving end or the creation end of it. And so I feel like it's, it's just the timing of this is really interesting and God is really funny in that way where I feel like things that have been happening in terms of what we're being asked to do, it's coinciding with, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of trying to keep mm. up. I'm so tired of trying to, you know, play the game and play the algorithm and like, otherwise my voice just disappears and, and that fear I have of I don't matter gets confirmed in my mind. And so the truth is, uh, this is a very, you know, true to form, slow burn, uh, long percolating message. So the very first time this phrase was ever uttered in my life was probably 15 years ago. And it was from my very wise husband, Justin. We were building our business and we were sitting outside at a taco restaurant. It was, sun- the sun was shining. I remember that. We had on sunglasses. Um, there were probably margaritas involved. So it was getting a little, you know, weepy and, and introspective and life pondering of the the void and the existential Gotta love crisis. how margaritas do that to somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's either that or your clothes fall off. So it's got to be yeah. you know, one, one of the two, one of the two. Um, and, and I was, I was saying to him, I'm just, I'm so defeated. I'm so frustrated, which when I tell mm. this part, um, and I actually haven't said it specifically like that before, and this just hit me. What I'm filled with is empathy for 15 years ago, Mary, and relief that we do not see the staircase, but only the next step. Because yeah. if that girl had to know it was going to be a 15-year climb in the photography industry only to start over in author world, she would not have been able to handle it. I can tell you that oh. right now. So I was saying, I'm so frustrated. It's happening so much faster for all these people. And like, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing? What are they doing differently? You know, I feel like we're focusing on excellence and they're not. And like, that doesn't seem fair. Mm. And Justin said to me, you know, maybe we're just, we're not, that's not the race for us. That's not the race we were created for. Mm. And what I heard in that moment was you, you are not going to win a race like that. You're not fast enough. You know, you're not, you're not crafted Mm. for it. They're, they're better. They're faster. And he said, no, what I mean is we're, they're over there running sprints. You know, they're going fast. Maybe they're going hundred meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, maybe worst of all, they're running really fast only to loop the track and end up back where they started he said, but we're running a marathon. We're building something that's going to go the distance. And that's just a different kind of effort. And then he said to me, these immortal words that he's repeated to me 4,722 times ever since, which is slow growth equals strong roots. And what we're building is going to have that kind of foundation that we can last, you know, that we can, we can stand on. And so, you know, uh, I always joke, be careful what mantra you choose for your life because mm. life has a really great way of making you live it out. And so mm. 15 years, we build a business and by the end, anybody who knew us in year 15 would go, oh my gosh, overnight success. What are you talking about? What? Like, it's hard. You're the L woods of photographers, you know, you just mm. sprint up the staircase. But what we knew was that we never had that overnight success moment. We never had that explosion. It was just like long, slow, steady climb, slow burn. And this was something that hit me the other day. It was that rather than having the uh, um, fanfare or the like worship of overnight success, what we earned instead was the admiration of respect, right? It was like we, we earned respect because it didn't happen overnight. We, we, we proved it 
by our faithfully showing up. So anyway, that's a long way of saying it's really Justin. And I say that in the book. He said it, and I just wrote a book about it. Oh, Mary, I love hearing that because I think that I remember hearing a preacher talk about the suddenlies in the mm. Bible. Like she, she did like she walked us through all the different times that the Bible's like suddenly and what it actually takes to become a suddenly and all the work, the seen and unseen and the management of your heart along the way and not getting yeah. caught up in pressure to perform and not getting caught up in what other people think you should be doing or shouldn't be doing and not bowing down to everybody else's expectations. And that feels like a real struggle. I feel that social media has also exacerbated that struggle for many people is are you able to tell us like how have you been able to resist this because it's not like you've stopped achieving incredible things like you have this this incredible book deal you have you're an amazing author you have a business that you're building you have people that you're leading you have folks that you're serving you have issues that you care about so it's not that you stopped achieving but how are you managing in your heart Mm. to keep other people's expectations and standards or even your own off your shoulders. Yeah. Oh, man, that is like that in some ways that is the question, Um, Ashley. That is like, you know, I say the first thing I'll say right off the bat is, you know, in the book I talk about, we do not give up achieving for our worth once and then we're done with it forever. Mm. It's like anything that we've become addicted to, it's over and over one day at a time. Oh, and that is yeah. that is Ooh, conviction. <laughs> conviction. Ooh. Um, but the other thing that I will say, because what you have identified there, it's two things I want to highlight. The first is kind of this like this urgency and this frustration in the yeah. question, can is this something you can even do? Is it even possible to stop achieving for your worth? Because when I was feeling called to set out and write this book, which in many ways I feel like is a sequel, a part two, a follow-up to Dirt, then I thought that was the journey, making peace with my past and this muddy story does not disqualify you, only to get to the end and literally one of the last passages of Dirt is the first passage in slow growth. It is the inciting incident for the second leg of the journey, Mm. which is reaching this place of at last exhausted. And so when I'm asking myself these questions, can you even do this? Can you even do this? I I sat down and I said, okay, Mary, when you think about achieving for your worth, what are all of the different rivers that are like flowing into that? Like picture a bicycle wheel where there's a hub in the middle that is being someone who achieves for your worth. And there are all these different spokes that feed into it. It's not just a one dimensional, one-sided thing. There's a lot that goes into it. If you're truly going to try to take on and tackle giving up achieving for your worth, you have to identify all the things that feed into that. And other people's expectations is a huge part of it. There's an entire entry called a Penske Trucks Worth of Expectations. Mm. And it's talking about my great aunt Annie, who was Grandma Goldie from Dirt. Her sister um, did not have any daughters of her own for whatever reason, took a liking to me, told me my whole life she was putting together a hope chest for me for someday when I got married. Um, Worked in a, a, worked the like, Um, cafeteria line at a retirement home in Akron, Ohio, Mm. lived on a very meager income, but she would take that money and go to yard sales. You know, we call them tag sales now in Connecticut um, (laughs) and look for stuff to add to this hope chest. And so fast forward, I'm in law school. I'd just gotten engaged to Justin and uh, my 
fiery, uh, very capable, hardworking, and Annie takes a slip and fall and hits her head and, and she's in a retirement home and then she passes away very quickly. Mm. And so I get a call saying you, you have, you know, insurance money that we want to talk to you about. And there's also a storage unit in Akron, Ohio that you need to come claim. So Justin and I in my cherry red neon drive from Connecticut to Akron, <laughs> Not the Ohio. neon. Wait, wait. We're pausing on the neon. Okay, because one it. time we have to, because one time I was in the back parking lot of my high school and my friend Charles <laughs> opened up the door to his navy blue neon and the door fell off. <laughs> like it fell off, you guys, in front of everybody after school. Do you understand how painful that is for a high school student? I'm sorry. Oh, you can't oh, wow. come back from that. I know you can't it will come ne- back from that, guys. It was remarkable. So I have a real visual of your uh, cherry red neon in my brain. Well, you, Continue. you should. And I will say that before the cherry red neon, I had that like purpley blue, electric purpley blue color, like the Barney neon. Oh, it was so popular. I wanted one so bad, so it, bad. But it peeled. It peeled really oh. bad. And so oh, I am so you know, sorry. Driving around with like rust hood and the rest of it's blue or whatever. It was. It was right up there with door falling off for sure. <laughs> but those neons were like a thing, you guys. They had yeah. their moment. Oh, absolutely. They, they had did. Their yeah. moment. It was a powerful really moment did. in time. <laughs> so you're in the cherry neon. We're in the cherry red neon. We're covering some ground, making some miles. We're, we figure we'll, you know, make a trip out of it and go to Cedar Point while we're there because I love roller coasters. Um, but we get there to the storage unit and they open it up and it is front to back, fl- like floor to ceiling, packed absolutely full to the point that we had to rent the biggest Penske truck they offer, which is the 26 footer. Mm-hmm. So Justin could drive that back and I drove the neon to get it all back home. And when we got here and we started unpacking it, it is the most motley mix of, on one hand, crystal Tiffany bowls that she <laughs> would have found in like the, you know, the rich people's neighborhoods and their tag sales, and they would be packed right next to these creepy little angel Christmas ornaments that had melted in the, oh, no. <laughs> in the storage unit. So oh, it looked no. like they were crying plastic tears. Um, oh. And we, we spent all summer sorting through that, what to keep and what to let go of. And I talk mm. about in the book, we are all walking around with a Penske truck full of expectations of our mm. parents and grandparents, our friends, our audiences, whatever it is, people who want good things for us. They think they know what's best for us. They have this crystal plated, keeping up with the Jones wishes, you know, kind of picket fence dreams for us of what the good life is. And if we are going to give up achieving for our worth, we have to be willing to sort through that. What to keep, what to let go of, what no longer serves, what had the best of intentions, but is not Mm. ultimately for us. Yeah. So Mm. that's hard. Yeah. And I think you have to be relatively self-aware to manage that process in a way that is life-giving, in a way that you feel like not shame or guilt, but really owning your season. And this is something um, I feel like Ashley, as an Enneagram 8, has really done the work to <laughs> to mm. find, like, no, I don't owe anybody anything. And it's I know it's been a blessing to me and our listeners. But I love that same echo here of be willing to examine the things that seem like mental furniture in your life, that seem yeah. unmovable, that seem like the heavy furniture in the back of that truck that you're like, I just can't part with this. This is who I am. This is what's made me me. But again, if it's not serving you in the season or the seasons to come, it might not be what's necessary. Yeah. Right. I watched, um, I watched the minimalist documentary on Netflix. Less is now, I think is what it's called. Um, but I think it was maybe the first one that might be the second one, but anyway, search for minimalists on Netflix. It'll come up. 
And one of them was talking about he became a minimalist when his mom passed away mm. and he had to go and sort through all this stuff that she had just been like hoarding and stacking up for years. Mm. And, and he was really talking about, and I talk about this in the book too, like when the person who originally saw the value in this thing is no longer there to see it. And we're just mm. sort of like holding it because it was important to them. And we have to kind of figure out like, what, what do we want to keep of them? Like what lasts and what is just heavy and taking up space and it feels like you know guilt or obligation and that's true in a very physical actual sense and it's very much true in an emotional sense you know families that operate out of guilt or families that operate out of you obligation you have to do this you can't let the family down like right there's a lot to break free of there for sure yes yeah I love that part right there because I've watched my mom do this in a really remarkable way. And I think part of it was my, um, you know, we were oil and water for a few years when it came to what we valued and what we cared about. And, you know, stuff has never really been a very heavy value for me, but it was really important to her. And she's sentimental about a lot of items that I am definitely not sentimental about. And so I've learned Mm -hmm. to respect what she loves and she's also learned to let go. And I've learned to embrace so many of the things that are valuable and for the reasons that she values them instead of me thinking differently about them. And then she's also worked so hard as the transitional generation to offload some of those familial expectations. And watching her do that even in her early 60s has been really powerful for me. And it's so life-giving and I appreciate it because it reminds me that at any point in our life, at any age and stage, there is a need to evaluate why we carry what we carry and Mm -hmm. a need to think through how this is affecting me in my relationships and how is this impacting the way that I see the world. And I remember one year at the beginning of my faith journey, I decided to not do anything that I felt like I was doing out of guilt. I studied the word love in the Bible all year long, and then I committed to doing nothing out of guilt. And sometimes I went way extreme in the opposite direction. And sometimes I didn't even fulfill my responsibilities in a right way. But I definitely learned how much I was carrying and that internal Mm -hmm. pain. I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but that internal pain and weight of feeling guilty all the time and feeling not enough all the time or feeling like you're not measuring up all the time. It's like that is such a weight that we carry that I feel so deeply impacts our connections with others and our capacity to show up in the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd be very curious, Ashley, if you've ever asked your mom what the stuff represents to her. Cause I, I actually, as it, I loved that phrase transitional generation. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the stacks of sweaters and the, you know, flowers on the kitchen Island or yeah. what, like the faux flowers in the kitchen Island, like yeah. the stuff has represented safety. It's represented. Look, you are not in the trailer anymore. Here's the proof. Like mm. you, these are the clothes that you have now, like good jeans equal a good life or whatever. Mm. And, That has been, I mean, as somebody who is a natural spender and who really felt like what you have determines how far you've come and how safe you are. Mm. I've, that's been a real big journey of this, of like, what does it look like to have some no spend months? What does it look like to like, just stop the fire hose of incoming junk into this house? And man, that's, I can imagine what a, what how much work that took on her part to start to say yeah. the stuff that made me feel safe I'm going to let go of. Right. That's yeah. so huge. Wow. And I also think grief is a part of it. I think we yeah. hold on to things that we don't grieve. 
and yeah. losses in relationship, um, changes in dynamics. And so we hold on to something. And I think you're right about the safety piece that it makes you feel safe to hold on to it or it makes you mm-hmm. feel safe to get it. Um, safety and security, I think, probably is what it really boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Going back to everything we think we need. Like, this is what we've seen other people who are successful have. Therefore, once I have it, I am successful. That's the, at some point in time, we've likely developed this idea of success that is so unique to us and our personal lack or something that we didn't have in our family of origin. And to your point, Mary, we get to that place where we get all those things we wanted and we're like, well, this wasn't it, you know, like this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And as I'm, as I'm listening, um, especially when I hear about that Penske truck, I think about, we don't go an hour without thinking about expectations, meeting them, achieving Mm, them, not meeting them. I I don't, I don't go an hour, even if it's something small, like grabbing something from the grocery store, right? Expectation. Um, There's just constant, constant expectation of either meeting them or not. So it's almost like, you know, if we don't get off the hamster wheel, well, we're waffling in between disappointment or achievement, disappointment or achievement. And to really step back and think we aren't defined by our disappointments or our achievements, which everything in our world says we are. Everything except Jesus. Everything. Yeah, that's right. Man, Tiffany, that is so good. So good. And something you were saying there at the beginning about, you know, like all the things that we think we have to get. um, There's this part, I, I think I like start talking about it in dirt and I definitely pick it up in slow growth where it's like talking about you know, all the things you thought you had to have. Um, You know, there's this part where I'm like, throw pillows. Nobody tells you how much throw pillows will be a part of your adult life. Like, why do I need this many pillows? Like, where do they all go and where have they all come from? You know, and it's talking about like the White Kitchen Island and all these other things. And the beginning of slow growth is talking about, the first entry is talking about, I don't know where all the fireflies have gone. And Mm. when I was a little girl, gap tooth, messy hair on Fenwick Mountain, there were no shortage of fireflies, lightning bugs, as we used to call them. Now it can be a struggle to see even one miracle right in front of my face, even though I am surrounded by everything I once ever wanted. Mm. And one of my favorite parts is, you know, I even if that littlest version of me, this wild thing, untamed mess of tangled hair and skin knees came and sat on my couch right beside me, looked into my tired eyes that are reflections of her own and asked the question I've been asking myself for far too long. What happened to you? Mm. I think if that littlest version could kind of see just how much joy has been sucked out of everything we once hoped for and how much it feels like just the expectation and the bare minimum we have to check every single day. This is what everyone else has. This is what I have to do. Um, it's just, it, it's heartbreaking when you think about it that way, because here's this little littlest version. If she were dropped in, she would be like running around. Um, I read this article with Viola Davis and people once where she was talking about growing up without a lot. And they said to her, the, the interviewer said, do you think the littlest Viola is, are you healing her? And she said, heck no. She said, heck no. She's healing me. Are you kidding me? She's running around saying, look at our refrigerator. Look at our refrigerator. Look Mm. at how amazing this is. And that just really hit me because we we forget how much we prayed for the things we already have. Right. That's so good. It is so good when when the, um, the dream, like when the prayer is answered and that 
becomes a burden and a responsibility. Yes. <laughs> like the real reality of managing the life that you wanted. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And then mm-hmm. the pressure from society to constantly be grateful for it and to never mm-hmm. complain about it and to always put on a show that everything is lovely. And if you just follow this path, it'll turn out like this. And it's all bull crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that goes a long way. Like what you're writing will help people go a long way in adjusting expectations and accepting where they are and not bowing down to how society says we should do things and to meeting that little person inside <laughs> to say, I love you. I'm caring for you. And look at this life we're living. I think it's really remarkable what you've done here, Mary. And I cannot wait for people to get this book in their hands. Oh my gosh. We are so grateful for you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. I feel like we have so many thoughts to feast on. I mean, my mind is running a million miles an hour and listener, I hope yours is too. I hope these are things you're thinking of, of how you defined success as a child and how you're defining it now. And perhaps how that is doing more harm than good when you aren't choosing that slow growth that Mary has shared with us today. There's so, so, so much to pack. Think about what's in your Penske truck. Think yeah. about in your pants truck. Yes, and or I hope budget, that if that's yes. your vibe too. <laughs> and I hope that the door doesn't fall off your neon if you're still driving one. <laughs> and even if it does, we will mock you 20 years later. <laughs> we will absolutely. <laughs> oh, Mary, so sorry. What's so his name? Much. Charles. What was Charles? His name? Charles Harrington and his his oh, mom I... Betty Harrington was my economics teacher, and oh, I will never that forget seems her. Fitting. Oh, I mean, she was so spectacular. We're still friends on Facebook. Betty, shout out if you're listening. I oh, loved Betty. our economics yeah. class. You are remarkable. <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for joining us on the show. What a pleasure to have you. And we're going to be praying that this book gets in the hands of so many people because it's going to be such a blessing. Thanks for the work you do. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so much for you guys having me. And just, I mean, I feel like um, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I just feel like there is, for anybody listening, there is a message in here that it's not about what you can do fast. You have permission to slow down. You have permission to grow slow. You have permission to Mm -hmm. build things that last and not be distracted by all the noise of how much, how many, how fast this fleeting currency that does not last. And so um, you can check out, we actually put together a quiz that I'll tell you about really quickly um, where you can figure out which of the five achiever types you are, the performer, the contortionist, the tightrope walker, the masquerader, Mm. or the illusionist in the distance. It talks about why you go after things who you're trying to make happy, what the strengths are, what the pitfalls are, and where you move forward from here to purpose. You can find that at AchieverQuiz.com. Ooh. Well, that's perfect. I was just going to share it. Check them show notes for all the goods about Mary's upcoming release. And we cannot wait to hear how it was a blessing to you listeners. And with that, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.